man. While they're all moving around, if you want to move up, it won't hurt my feelings. I can still preach to you that far back. But if you want to move up, amen. Don't let your theme song be, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Hey, there's nothing contagious up here. I know some people are, they're, 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 they have this aversion to the front, but there's nothing can, well, there is something contagious. If you stay up here long enough, it starts getting on you. You don't want to be anywhere else. Hey Amen. I'm picking at you right now. I feel good in the Holy Ghost. I am so excited about what God's doing in our midst. I am thankful for the visitation that God has has sent to us and what he is doing for us even now. I'm grateful for that. I am thankful for my church family. Amen. I have I have been thinking much today about the church not just the church, my church, not the one I own, but my church, the one I, I am a part of. I like to talk about it in that personal pronoun. This is my church. Anybody feel like this is my church? Amen. I'm thankful for my church. Amen. I'm thankful that, that God has allowed me to be in fellowship with some of the greatest people on the face of the earth. They're right around you tonight. And uh, God's been good. We're going to look forward to this coming weekend. I would ask you to uh, hold up the Tumanella family in your prayers. He is holding on, but everything has started to shut down. And I know that they covered our prayers also, Sister Cheryl, I would pray that some of us could intercede in behalf of that precious lady. She is suffering, and uh, they cannot seem to find a reason. They do; uh, they are doing many tests on her tonight, but uh, she needs a definite touch from God. Amen. If you have your Bibles for a few moments, and I will try to be... I will try to be mindful of that. I have a a clock back there. Sometimes I don't look high enough. I need to keep my eyes lifted a little higher tonight because I can tell what time it is. I do want to be mindful of the time, but I don't want to rush through what God's wanting to talk to us about either. Time is an enemy to a preacher. At least this one it is. I sometimes think about the, uh, oh, they're really helping me out. <laughs> Is that a hint? <laughs> as long as they don't put a, a, a timer on it where it starts ticking down, I'll be all right. I probably need that. A friend of mine said he sets an alarm on his iPad for 30 minutes. I thought, man... That would only annoy the people in the church because I'd be like that, that preacher, the little girl brought her friend to church and she'd never been around that church and she was curious about everything going on and every time something would happen, she would whisper to her friend, what's that mean? What's that mean? And the girl would go into 
prideful, not, not in a bad way, but just an explanation of what the procedure and the rituals of the church were. It just kept going on through the service. Every time she would see something new, she'd say, what does that mean? Finally, the preacher got up to preach, and he opened his Bible, and then he took his watch off and laid it on the table before him. And she said, what's that mean? She said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) So I hope you're not saying that tonight before you leave. Philippians chapter 3. I will have to tell you that This is a passage of Scripture. I don't remember preaching from it, but it has intrigued me more times than I can number. I love the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books of the New Testament. I think why or one of the reasons I love Philippians is because it is a letter written from prison and yet it is so full of encouragement and the reminder for us to give thanks be joyful rejoice in the Lord and I have to remind myself every once in a while when I get a little negative that as bad as it may seem there's still much to be thankful for but the third chapter is a conundrum to me because It does not flow with the rest of the book. It seems to be uh, a glaring contradiction, and I'll try to explain that to you in a moment. But this is how the third chapter begins. He said, finally, my brethren. Now, you would think that he's summing the letter up. This is the close. It's going to be over with. But... If you look at your Bible, you realize that it's not the end. There's another chapter that he's going to write. Another part. We put the chapters, but there's another part of the letter. But finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous or irksome. It's not a burden for me to do that. But for you... It is safe. So evidently he is reminding them of something he has said before in another correspondence or something he said personally to them when he had been at Philippi. And he said, I I want you to underscore the latter portion. I reiterate it because it is safe for you. It's good that you are reminded. And then verse 2 says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit. Are in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, verse two, if you go back and you have time to read the first portion of Philippians, it doesn't 
seemed to flow with the thought and the process of Paul's writing of this letter. But it has spoken to me, and I pray God will speak to you. I want to use the subject, beware. Everybody say beware. God bless you. You may be seated. The New Testament definition of beware, I want to give it to you before I get started. It means to restrain or guard oneself from. To regard with caution, to restrain oneself from anything that may be dangerous, injurious, or improper. To avoid or to take care that we are conscious of. It means to have a special regard for. And every time you read that in the New Testament, you need to stop long enough to ask yourself, what am I to beware of? And that word comes often in the writings of the New Testament. Paul's letters to the New Testament church are more than mere documents, and they are more than theological treatises about doctrine and things that should be a part of the church. Before we labeled them as epistles, they were known as letters. A letter is something that's personal, and his were very personal. They they were written filled with a lot of love and concern and guidance and instruction and wisdom. And in those letters, you will find Paul bearing his soul to these New Testament believers. He opens his mind as well as his heart to those that he loved. And in them, many times, in addressing doctrinal issues, he also grapples with problems that the church was encountering and many that they were facing. But not just of that age. Many of these issues, I think, are prophetic. They are not consigned to a certain period of time. The New Testament era, beginnings of the church. But there's something that carries over into future generations. And I I believe that's one reason why Paul would take time to caution us and make us mindful of these things so that no matter what age we live in, we are conscious and aware of these things. Now, when you read a letter, it's as if you are listening in to one side of a telephone conversation. You don't know what's being said on the other end, or you don't know what was written to Paul. We don't know what Paul had been told is necessarily, but we can listen to what he's saying and deduct from that. There evidently were some things that Paul was 
wanting them to be aware of and that he was concerned of. And there had been something that had promoted this reply, either the circumstances of the moment or some means of communication that he had received or perhaps something that he sensed in his spirit and in his inner man, something conveyed to him that this merits our discussion. And so you deduce from that that uh, there were things that provoked him to make these statements. Now, reading the letters of Paul is not an academic exercise, but it is more than that. It is more than a human document written to human beings facing certain situation, but he was dealing with spiritual matters, real-life issues, but spiritual matters that sometimes disguise themselves in physical problems or in threatening circumstances. And though they were written to a people long ago, They are not temporary. They're not isolated to that moment in time. But Paul was warning or he was making them aware and us aware who read his letters that this is something that doesn't come with age-specific time restraints. It could be everywhere at any time, in any generation, in any period of life. But you need to be aware of them. And so they challenge our spiritual life, no matter the age we live in. Paul's letter to the Philippians came out of a missionary journey that if you go to Acts chapter 16, you find its beginning, how it all happened while he was there, what happened. And then Paul had to flee because of persecution. They were trying to silence his witness And Paul was able to escape because God was not through with him yet. It was not his end yet. But the church that remained suffered and persecution began to mount all around them. And a storm rose around them. And now he is writing at a later date. He is looking back to them from a Roman prison and he is trying to find words to encourage them. And he remembers their, uh, their, their love for him and he gives thanks. And you can read all that if you begin with chapter one, verse one, and he encourages them in their personal struggle. And he is sensing in his own spirit that his end is drawing near. Matter of fact, historians say that this was written less than two years before he died, before his life was taken from him. And so sitting in this cold, damp prison cell in Rome, there is nothing that is more sobering to the mind than your looming death. The mortality of life begins to set in. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments in life, but I've been with a lot of people in those moments in life. And it's amazing what facing death 
can do to clarify your vision and clarify a lot of confusion in life. And all of a sudden, things that you were stressed out about and you were all bent out of shape over, all of a sudden in that moment of time, they don't mean anything to you anymore. They, they're not an issue. What really matters is that life has come into focus and there's nothing more sobering or awakening to the senses than facing our mortality. I dare say tonight that if you or I knew that this was our last day, this is your last day, you, you will not have a tomorrow, I think all of us would have lived it much more carefully than we may have. Maybe not, but I know personally, if if I knew, and, and who knows, it may be my last hour, but if I knew that I would never see another sunrise, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of things that I would not be afraid to admit, and there would be a lot of pride that I would want to get rid of and divest myself of, because I want to make sure that when that moment comes, I don't have a problem in my transition to that other world. And Paul was facing that. He was in that moment. He was not to die yet. He was still almost two years out of that. But it was a moment of clarity as he was writing to the church, pouring out his personal sentiments and his encouraging words and tell him to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And all of a sudden, boom, this this out of the nowhere, this shadow comes over his spirit and his mind and suddenly there's a shift in his thinking and in the flow of his thoughts and he pulls back and, and I can, in my mind, I can almost see him with his hand or whoever is riding for him. Their hands are flowing and, 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 and he comes to that moment and then just silence. And then out of his mouth come These strange words that don't even fit with the flow of his thought. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. But he sensed something and he, something moved him that has moved me today. I hope it will move you. When you come to this third chapter, his peaceful Unruffled conversation suddenly changes tones and becomes a warning. Beware. Beware. It's like a flashlight comes up or a red light comes up and, and the, the glaring horns go off. Stop. Whoa. Don't move any further. Wait and let me tell you what the Holy Ghost is speaking to me and through me to you right now. Beware. Everybody say beware. Beware. I thank God for warnings. I know sometimes we don't like that, but I'm thankful that God cares enough about me that he sends warnings my way. He sends wake-up calls. He doesn't let me just go on in my stubbornness or in my human will and destroy my life. But he brings something into my life that makes the brakes come on and I come to a screeching halt. I'm thankful that God has the ability to inject himself in my life to save me from a hell or save me from an eternity without him. And he loves me enough. That he's not afraid to hurt my feelings if it will save my soul. Amen. 
Now, we love the word of God because it's so encouraging. You cannot read the Psalms without being encouraged. You cannot read through the word of God without finding a stream of love that flows throughout the whole context of scripture. You cannot read the Bible without feeling a flow of purpose and and destiny. And we're not here by accident. And God knew us in, in our mother's womb. He knew our members. He knew what our personality was. He was the one that counted the hair that was going to be on our head. And he numbered the days of our life. All because he loves us. Because he cares for us and because he wants to be good to us and be our God and we be his people. And so Paul, it seems like he's just going along chatting with his friends when all of a sudden, boom, he sees in his spirit the dire need to warn the church. Beware. Everybody say it again. Beware. Beware. Thank God for those kind of warnings. I love the encouragement of the word, but I have to admit to you that many times it's not an encouragement that I need, but a rebuke. Now, you may not, but there are times that I need God to be corrective in his love toward me because I don't want to be lost. And sometimes in my selfishness and in my self-desire to fulfill my own desires and be my own person and live my own life, I become destructive to myself. And I'm so thankful that God loves me enough that he sends somebody into my life and gives me a wake-up call or he makes somebody get on the phone and call. I don't know why I'm calling you, but I just felt like I needed to say to you something that God spoke to me. I'm glad for moments like that in my life. I don't want God to ever take that away from me. I don't want to ever close my ears to the voice of God, or blind my eyes to that hand that is always reaching for me. Amen. And so he begins chapter 3 with these words. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write this is for your good. It's it's a safeguard. It's a a safeguard. Hearing something that you've heard before is, it should not be an irritant to your life, but it should be an encouragement that if God cares enough about me, he'll warn me more than one time. Wouldn't it be tragic if God only gave us one shot at this? How many of us would not even be here tonight? I wouldn't. If he only gave me one shot. (laughs) I messed up a long, long time before you knew me, before I was ever a preacher. But I'm thankful he didn't write me off with that mistake. He didn't, he didn't nullify me. He didn't void my life and say, well, that was a waste of creative power. But he finds ways to come back to us and say the same thing over, but maybe in different words, but it's the same message. And the message is, the reason I'm doing this is because I love you. I don't know if you had any parents like mine, but my mother, she loved to whip, uh, switch. She loved to switch. She Sometimes she loved to whip too, but she loved to switch. 
And when we had, when we had done wrong and broken the rules or we had crossed a boundary, the worst punishment of all was she would make us go cut our own willow switch. Now I know this is cruel and unusual punishment. You may have to edit this out of the deal tonight, but the world needs to know it won't break you. It won't kill you if it's done correctly. Amen. And she did it correctly. Uh, but she applied it very thoroughly. And if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times as she's wearing me out. I'm only doing this because I love you. Any of you have parents like that? You're not afraid? I'm not. Yeah. Now, you know what I found out later on? The reason she did that was because she did love me. If she hadn't loved me, she wouldn't have cared that I would become a reprobate. She wouldn't have cared that I wound up in a bad situation. But because she cared for me, she would apply that switch at the right time and in the right place. By the way, amen. The hand should be to the seat of the problem, not to the face of the problem. That's abuse. But there is a way to properly correct our children. And they won't die, even though you may think they are, because they get corrected. Amen. I'm so glad that that the Internet police weren't around in my day or my mom would be in jail. She would have died in prison. Because if they had listened to all the wailing and carrying on of us kids as she was correcting us. But anyway. So Paul said, I don't mind repeating myself to you and you shouldn't mind hearing me say it again. I've been pastoring here for 26 years and in 26 years I've tried not to say the same thing over and over, but I have. Now, I'm not trying to repeat a sermon. I don't remember ever really going back and re-preaching a sermon that I've preached before. I may preach something around it or something close to it, but I've made it a habit in my life to always try to dig for something fresh. I do know God can speak to you out of the same verse many times over, but I want something fresh for this moment. But if I were to repeat myself, You shouldn't be offended or you shouldn't say, our brother Hughes must not have had time to study this week or what's, what kind of burr is under his saddle? A good friend of mine was talking to his mom and dad about the church service and I think I told you this, his dad got on for, oh, it was heaven. It was just like God came down in that place tonight. And his mother got on. He asked her the same question. She said, I don't know, but it seemed like he had a burr under his saddle tonight. Same people, same message, but two different responses. And I understand that that's your prerogative. But I'm just here to tell you, you should never be offended if God speaks the same message back to you more than one time. That's a symptom of love. That is God saying, hey, I care enough about you. I'm not going to let you keep erring in that way. I'm going to put something in your way to make you stop. Amen. 
And so these were the things Paul didn't mind talking to them about. Now, I don't know that you could find these things written anywhere else in Scripture, but there's a principle. More important, there are spirits that are identified that are not connected to a day or an age, but they are connected to life and living. Three things he said we must be aware of. Now, the word is blepo in the Greek, and I'm not sure if that's the exact pronunciation, but that's how it's spelled, B-L-E-P-O. But it it literally speaks of sight, the ability to see. But more than just the ability to see, it's the ability to have insight. Everybody has eyes in this building, but not all of us have insight in a particular situation. It takes a deeper revelation and an understanding that that there's more to it than just words of black and white on paper, that there is something deeply spiritual that God's trying to convey to you and I, and he's trying to speak to us. And so it goes beyond sight to insight, and more than just seeing, but understanding the purpose of the message and the reason, and it is the power of perception and having the understanding to weigh things carefully or to examine it closely or to face it squarely, all of that comes within the context of this word beware. So when I read that earlier today, I started writing down questions, and these are the questions that came to mind. So what am I supposed to look for? What am I supposed to be aware of? What do I need to take heed to? What should I be concerned about? What should I weigh carefully? What should I stand up and face? And what do I have the power to discern out of this situation? And there are three things that Paul said we must guard against. Now, there... There are things that you would not connect perhaps with what I'm going to talk about, but I believe they refer to spirits, attitudes, and mindsets that can affect a child of God in living this life that we live. They are attitudes spirits, and mindsets that we are going to wrestle with as we go through life and this journey to heaven. And so with that in mind, if you will, let me begin with the first one that he mentions. And he said, beware of dogs, sister. I thought of you, sister Gail. This is a night I'm not going to preach about cats. I'm going to talk about dogs. Beware of dogs. Now, he was not talking about literal canines, four-legged creatures that are supposed to be the friend of man. But he was talking about something much deeper. 
The word kaon is the word in the Greek, and it means a mind that is impure. A mind that is impure. An impudent man. And when I started looking at that, I thought, God, what are we talking about? What are we dealing with? And he said, just go ahead and read that again. And as he, as I read it again, I began to think about all the things that dogs can be known for. Biting, hurting, eating, maiming, assaulting, attacking, barking, annoying. I think dogs are guilty of all those at some time. And when I started looking at that, God said, now I want you to understand I'm not talking about that dog that you have at home. I'm talking about a spirit that manifests itself in life that becomes mean and it becomes hurtful and it maims and it bites and it barks. Be careful of any spirit that you indulge in that enjoys hurting somebody else. Now, my mind works a little crazy, but when I was writing all this down, I thought, well, what makes a dog mean? So I Googled what makes a dog mean. I have research right here. You ready for it? One of the most common reasons dog wind up being relinquished to the shelters, abandoned, or euthanized is because of aggressive behavior. For dog owners, canine aggression can be frightening, distressing, baffling. One of the most important things that we can do as a dog owner is to understand why dogs become aggressive. I ask myself, are dogs born mean? Are some dogs born mean? And research says, no, they are not. Now, people think that aggression is innate in certain dogs, pit bulls. We just automatically associate them with being violent. There are certain breeds that we say are the Doberman Pinscher, or some of the other dogs that have been used as attack dogs. But dogs aren't born mean. They become that way through a complex interaction of many factors, the majority of which are beyond the dog's control. Number one. They discovered in their research in studying dogs that were aggressive that the number one reason most dogs are aggressive is triggered by pain when they are hurt. They lash out. When they are hurt, they become aggressive. 
And the Lord spoke to me and said, it is impossible for you to go through life and not be hurt. But it is not impossible for you to go through life and not have this kind of spirit manifest itself in your life. If we're not careful, we can let the pain that we go through in life make us mean, brittle, resentful, angry. And because of that behavior, the hand that reaches out to help us, we snap at it. We bite at it. We bark at it. And I think Paul was warning not only the Philippians, but he was warning us in 2019 that there are spirits that come along in life. And there are events that happen in your life that cause a great deal of pain. And you as a child of God are going to have to constantly work and be aware that that which has happened to you does not morph into this mean, aggressive, vindictive, aggressive spirit. Amen. Be careful of hurting others because you've been hurt. And this is what I've learned in life. Hurt people normally hurt people. There's a better answer for that. There's real healing in him. And it doesn't matter what life has done to us. That's one of the evidences of Paul's writing to the Philippians. Is that over and over and over again, he said rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say joy. He, he talks about the joy of the Lord and all of that. And he's writing from a prison where he has shackles on his feet and hands. And he's absolutely, most likely been beaten because of his preaching of the gospel. And yet out of that pain didn't come more pain or more hatred or more bitterness or more vile. But out of that came this spirit of compassion and love and he said rejoice in the Lord just look around at what God's done for you in spite of what's happened to you God's been good to you he's been better to you than life has been you ought to thank God for being a good God not being angry at life all the time because of what has happened to you amen my time is running out I don't have time to go into all of them but This is one thing that I thought was disagreeable people tend to prefer aggressive dogs. I've met some people in my lifetime in church that just love being mean. They just loved it. They loved it more than being nice. They like cutting you off. They like cutting you down. They like judging you. They like being critical of you. They like finding fault with you. They like cutting you up in pieces and throwing you to the wind because somehow that empowers them to feel better about their nasty self. Amen. And Paul said, I just need to warn you. There's a spirit that goes through life that tries to take the events that happen to you in life 
and warp them and make them something other than what God intended for them to be. And that is a means of growing you spiritually and developing you into to the person that he wants you to be. And if you're not careful, you can let the wrong thing get in control of your life. And instead of you being loving and understanding and compassionate and sympathetic, you can be just like a, um, a dog yelping and barking and biting. And anybody that reaches out to help you or anybody that reaches out to assist you, you bite at them and you snap at them as if they are your enemy. And the only reason they're reaching for you is because they love you. If they didn't love you, they'd leave you in your mess. They'd leave me in my mess, but they love me enough to say, hey, let me help you. Paul said you need to be aware of dogs. Not just four-legged creatures, but spirits that can get into your life And so mess up what God's trying to do in your life that you cannot receive what God had planned to give you. Amen. But they're mostly triggered by pain. Man, you're not going to get through life without being hurt. Jesus said you're not going to get through life without being offended. Amen. Offenses shall come. I mean, the very words he said to John in prison. John just sent to ask a simple question. Here I am languishing. I've been in prison for six months. I've not heard one word about you. I've not heard one word from you. But from the time that I was old enough to speak, The word of the Lord. I came out of the wilderness preaching you, promoting you. And now I only have one question. Are you he that should come or should we look for another? And Jesus' response to him was, go back and tell John, blessed is he that is not offended in me. One translation said, blessed is the man who doesn't get aggravated at the way I work my will out in their life. Folks, I fail that test sometimes. And I think all of us have. Dogs, beware of dogs. The second thing, beware of evil workers. Evil is worthless. It is injurious. It's harmful. It's bad by nature. But it refers to a mode of thinking, of feeling, and acting that is wrong. It's malicious. It's spiteful. And again, God began to speak to me and say, you know what you have to be careful of? Is that do you not allow that to come into your heart? Because life is going to do a number on you sometime or other that's going to give you every justification to be bitter and mad and hurt. And somehow we have to push back against that evil worker, that evil spirit, that evil thinking. I don't even want to think like that, that somebody would intentionally hurt me, but... I find myself falling prey to that sometimes. 
I don't even like the idea that sometimes people come to church and they view the church through jaundiced eyes as if the church is out to get them or out to hurt them. The reality is this is the best place for any of us to be. It's not a perfect place. It's not for perfect people. It's for broken people. It's for hurting people. It's for confused people. But his church is an atmosphere where they can be loved and nurtured into health and be made to be what God wanted them to be. And so be, 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 be aware of perpetrators. Those that won't let things die. They gotta keep bringing it back up. You know, you try to get beyond something and somebody comes by and says some little something just to remind you. Oh, I know what they did to you. I know what they said about you. And all that stuff starts bubbling up again. Now, am I the only one that ever has to deal with that? But Paul said, this is not isolated to the Philippian church. This is something that every church age we're going to struggle with. We're going to have to war against and fight against and resist these this evil working spirit that tries to warp what God is doing in life. Amen. What is accomplished by mischief makers is what he was talking about. Amen. I was thinking when I read that today, you know, false teachers have always been around. False doctrines have always been from the beginning of the church. There were those that twisted the truth to their own hurt. But I don't go through life studying false doctrine. Now, I may contradict your theology tonight, but I'm going to contradict it. I don't go through life studying false ideologies. Now, I do study them, but I don't spend my time. You know what I spend my time on? Truth. Because truth is the only antidote to falsehood. And the more familiar I am with truth, no more I can identify falsehood. Sister Gay's here tonight. She works in banks and lending institution money. I've been told, I assume this is true, that when they bring a new teller in, the way they teach them how to detect false money or counterfeit money is not giving them counterfeit money. It's giving them real money to handle. So that over the process of handling real money and genuine currency, that when they finally slip something false in, boom, lights go off. Huh, this something's not right about. It. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't look right. And there's a lot of people that go through life trying to figure out what's wrong with everybody else, and they don't ever spend enough time on figuring out what's right with the church. I want to tell you what needs to be the focus of our church. Not what's wrong with the world, but what's right in the Word, and what's right with God, and what's right with God will change what's wrong in the world. Now, I'm not against studying those things. I'm not against learning all we can learn. I'm just saying that if we're going to be handling anything, let's handle the truth of the Word of God. Let's get so fluent in this Word that when something false comes along, the radar goes up and said, Oh, no, you're not coming in my house. I'm not buying that doctrine. I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid. Amen. 
I'm hurrying. Beware mutilators. This is, this is one of those that's needed. The concision literally means the cutting. And Paul was referring back to the Old Testament relationship that God had had with Israel. And he gave them a sign and symbol of their covenant relationship. And it was circumcision of the man, the male. And it it literally speaks of cutting away. And God had with Israel a relationship where that sign was part of their relationship. And if you understand when Moses came out of out of Egyptian bondage, he had a child, but he had not circumcised. His own wife, who was from Egypt, evidently, or somewhere in that, she was the one that had to remind him of the covenant that God had made with Israel because things were not going well. So this, this covenant of circumcision, this cutting away of the flesh, was a prominent part of their relationship with God. And it was part of what identified them as covenant people. But when God began to look toward the New Testament church, that circumcision moved from the outside to the inside. And he talks about the circumcision of the heart, not just of the flesh. And so... He's, he's, he's in a way addressing an issue of the Judaizers that were trying to bring back on the New Testament church an Old Testament practice. And they didn't, they, they were blind to the fact that God had already transitioned into a new covenant where the circumcision was internally. But that didn't mean there wasn't an external evidence. But it was manifest in other ways than the circumcision of the flesh physically. It had to do with the heart. It had to do with other parts of our being. I'm going to rock your boat right now. Once the way of identification now requires more than a mark on the flesh, but a mark on the mind, on the heart, on the character. You see, God understood mankind, and he understood that man has the propensity to do a lot of things to his flesh but never do anything to his heart. I've been around church all my life. And I've been around a lot of people in my spiritual journey that thought that their outward show of holiness was a sign that God was pleased with them. And they were ignorant to the fact that that's not what God's looking for necessarily. He's looking beyond that. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the 
heart. You see, real holiness is not something you put on. It's something you become internally. And what you become internally will manifest itself externally. But there are a lot of people that get the external, but they eliminate or forget the importance of the internal. And I met some people that looked as holy as whatever you want to identify as holy, but they were mean as junkyard dogs and twice as vicious. And Paul said one of the problems that a church, a born-again believer is going to face in his life is to rely on his outward appearance just as long as he can fool a man or he can get a man to think, oh man, they're, 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 they're spiritual. But God looks beyond all that. He sees my spirit. I come up here and stand and shout and talk in tongues, and then I go back there and I cut somebody to shreds with my tongue. Or I get on Facebook and I I just eviscerate them, you know, just blowtorch. And then I puff myself up and I come back, ah, hallelujah, I'm holy. <laughs> I'm godly. And So out of that, over the years, has come a confusion. And people have become very mean in a good way, perhaps they thought, but still mean. Because they judge people by their outward appearance before they ever find out what's going on on the inside. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot that can be covered up. With enough dress. <laughs> you can cover up a multitude of sin. And deceive people by your appearance. But you can never deceive anybody. Through your spirit. Because it's going to come out at some point or other. The real me is going to show up. And that's what God's really looking for is the real me. Not who I pretend to be. Not what I put on on Sundays. Not what I put on to impress other people. But what I am when nobody sees me. What I am when nobody's looking. What I do when I have the opportunity to do anything I want to do. But I don't because I'm aware that he expects more of me than that. Amen. Our holiness, church, has got to go deeper than our outward appearance. And I know I'm talking to, I'm, I'm talking to veterans here tonight, and I'm not trying to be condescending, but I will tell you that in my experience within the church, sometimes we rely on the wrong thing, thinking that because of that, God's going to give us a move. God's going to give us revival. God's going to do this. And the reality is God's already looked past that. He's looking to the real core of why he wants to bless. And that's the heart. That's the spirit of man. Now, that spirit is going to manifest itself in a godly outward way. At some point, there's going to be a truth that's going to come forth that I am a true child of God. But until I understand that it starts internally and not externally, I'm going to miss one of the most important principles of spiritual living. Amen. Now, 
Holiness is not something that we first do. It is something that we first are. Be ye holy, for I am holy. He didn't say, do ye holy. He said, be ye holy. Be is a state of being verb. I'm not real great with English, as you can sometimes tell. But I did pick that up in school. That it is a state of being. It's what I am in this inner man. And so holiness is not something that I first do. It is something that I first am. It is a spirit that manifests itself in a physical way in my life. And so I started looking at that. And I realized that what from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Testament was about the outward man. It was about that sign in the flesh. But when he transitions into the New Testament dispensation of time, now the circumcision is not on the outside, but in Deuteronomy 10 and 6 and Leviticus 26 and 41, he said the circumcision is in the heart, in the hidden part of man. But then he goes over into Jeremiah and he inspires Jeremiah to say in Jeremiah 6 and 10, it should not only affect your heart, but you need to circumcise your ears. What you hear, what you listen to. You say, well, really, I was just trying to be kind. Sometimes I don't need to be kind to people. Not when they're running somebody else down. Not when they're trashing the church. I don't need to give them time. I need to be conscious that not just my outward appearance. Well, you know what? I I still look the part. I need to make sure that my ears are circumcised. So that what comes through the channels of my ears and goes into my spirit is that which will build me up and make me better. I need my ears circumcised. But he didn't stop there. In Exodus 6 and 12, he said, you not only need your heart circumcised and your ears circumcised, he said, you need your lips circumcised. I need my tongue laid on the altar sometimes. And I need them to pour a whole gallon of oil on it and pray the devil out of it. Because James said, it's a world of fire. And anybody that has not offended with the tongue is a perfect man. And I don't qualify. So I've learned in life that a regular habit of mine has got to be not just bringing myself, but bring my tongue and lay it on the altar and say, God, I want what comes out of here to be uplifting. I want what comes out of here to be encouraging. I want what comes out of here to bring health. I want what comes out of here to speak life. I don't want to speak death into somebody's life. I don't want to be a negative nobody that doesn't care about anybody else. I want to be a somebody that speaks. And when I speak, it's like... Like life comes. I speak in something encouraging flows. I speak in something helpful comes. I speak in nourishment comes to somebody else. Let's stand together. I'm going to give you the three signs that your heart and your ear and your lips have been circumcised. He mentions them in the next verse. 
If you'll let me, he said, beware of dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of concision. For we are, he identifies who the true circumcised are. Those which worship God in the spirit. Not ritual, but relationship. When our worship moves beyond just the perfunctory repeating of words that are put up on the screen, but our mind is somewhere else doing bills or at Six Flags or at the grocery store or at Walmart, but our heart is engaged and we're contemplating what we're saying to Him and something lifts us up and and brings us into a heavenly place. That's what I need to be aware of. That's true circumcision when my worship flows out of a relationship and I am giving Him honor. And I'm magnifying him because I've walked with him all week long. I've talked with him all week long. He's talked to me during the week as well. And he has encouraged, not just going through the motions and engaging not my flesh, but not my heart. Number two, he said, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. My only boast is in him. The only thing I have to be happy about tonight, Brother Dwayne, is not my accomplishments and it's not what I've been able to do, but what I'm able to rejoice in tonight is what God has done for me and what he keeps doing for me. And the reason that I'm here is not because I deserve it, but because he loves me and he wants to do good to me and he wants to help me. Amen. Number three, he said, not only is it that we worship God in spirit and we rejoice in Jesus Christ, but we have no, everybody say no, no, no confidence in the flesh, in human things. You see, it's not about my performance. It's not about my abilities. It's about his mercies that I'm here anyway. If it had not been for the Lord on my side. Hallelujah. Is anybody understanding? I know I keep going on, but I can't stop. Does anybody understand? The only reason any of us are here is because God is just a great, big, merciful God. You are, that ought to make you want to shout every time you come to church. That ought to make you want to lift your hands and your voice and shout with the voice of triumph. Not because of what you are, but because of what he is to you. He is your savior. He is your helper. He is your encourager. He is the lover of your soul. He cares more about you than you care about yourself. He wants to help you more than you want to help yourself. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He loves me. Oh, he loves me. I failed the time test tonight. You'll have to forgive me for that. But I I pray something will get in our spirit. God, help me to not just mark up the outside and make the outside look like it, it, it ought to look, but let it begin on the inner man. Let my attitude be right. Let my spirit be right. Let my thinking be right. Let all that I do be motivated from the spirit that motivated you. Amen.
You did it because you loved me. And I want to do it because I love you. Not because I have to. Not because I'm afraid somebody will talk about me if I don't. Or somebody will, somebody will call me. But because God's been so good to me. If God had wanted to wipe me out and take my name off the roll of life, he could have already done it. But I'm still here because he still loves me and he's still reaching for me and he still wants to help me and he's still encouraging me saying, come on, you can do this. Come on, you can be better than this. Come on, you can rise higher. Come on, I'll help you if you'll let me. I'll help you. Come on, let's praise him right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, we love you tonight, God. We love you tonight, God. We love you tonight, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Hallelujah. Would you do me a favor and those around, just find somebody and join hands with them and let's just pray together. God, help us to be aware. Help us to not go through life blindly. Ignorant of what all might the enemy might be trying to do to subvert our life. God, help us to not just go blundering through life blind to the things that have been sent to destroy us. But you, God, are going to make it work for our good. If we are aware, if we will only let you be God in our life, you will turn those things into joy. You will turn our sorrows into laughter. You will turn our hurt into gains. Hallelujah. 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 Oh Lord, you will turn our losses into gain. You'll turn our hurts into helps. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Beware. Amen. Beware. Just be aware that there's, there, there, there's something in this world that is contrary to everything that you represent. And anytime it can, it will try to slip in. I don't want to die bitter. I don't want to die mean. I don't want to die hateful. I want to go out of this world loving everybody, even those that don't deserve it. I'm going to keep loving them. Amen. I'm going to keep making room for them at the cross. Please don't ever get tired of doing that. Please don't ever get tired of making room for backsliders to come home or for people that are broken to find healing and help. Amen. I love you. I'll shut up. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah.